So we're coming to that time of the year when the church worldwide remembers the betrayal and arrest and trial and crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, for those of us in the Reformed tradition, we don't overemphasize any of those special events in the church calendar. We're taught to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus whenever we gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we do on a frequent basis. But we do know that Jesus was arrested and crucified at the time of the Jewish Passover, and we're not shy about pointing to his atoning death and his victorious resurrection. After all, he died for sinners just like us. So today I want to look for a moment or two at a very solemn and very serious subject. A man who betrayed the Lord. The man, Judas Iscariot. What a miserable character. A man who sold the Saviour for a few pounds. It's an important subject. It's important for the unrepentant sinner who needs to prepare to meet God. It's important for the Christian who has perhaps grown slightly cold in heart or fallen by the wayside and in so doing has heaped more pain upon the Saviour's head. It's a serious warning to persevere. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. So what kind of a person was Judas Iscariot? Well, he was an apparent follower of the Lord Jesus. Externally, at least, he owned and confessed Christ to the whole world. Everybody looking at Judas must have wondered what a fine Christian he was. But of course, as we know, going to church and taking part in religious activities, doing what a Christian does, doesn't make one a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. But Judas is more than just a professing Christian. Judas was a church leader. He was an apostle, one of the disciples of Jesus. He held one of the highest offices in the church. He was an elder, and he was even the church treasurer. And again, we have a warning there. Holding the highest office in the church doesn't guarantee that you're a true believer. One only has to look at the example of Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, a man who is extremely woke in his views, who permits Muslim worship to take place in his cathedrals, a man who is, to all intents and purposes, leading the church away from biblical truth. One has to ask, is he really a Christian? Holding a high office in the church doesn't actually mean that you're a believer. So Judas is an apparent follower of Jesus, and he's a disciple in the band of disciples. And both of those characteristics would make you think that Judas was supremely a hypocrite. It seems that he was selfish, he was a liar, he was deceitful, for there he was, right among the church, holding one of its highest offices, and yet he's the traitor. Now, I know that there are people who will make this an excuse for rejecting the gospel and rejecting the claims of Christ. And they'll say something like, I'm not going to church, I'm not going to be known as a Christian, because the church is full of hypocrites. 
And our answer to that is, yes, it is. It's absolutely crammed with it. There's none of us that can say we're perfect, and a hypocrite is someone who is acting out a part, putting on a false face, and there's plenty of us do that from time to time. So you can't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, another one won't make any difference. Using that as an excuse to reject the Saviour is totally illogical. It's like saying, I wouldn't go to a hospital because it's full of sick people. I wouldn't go to a gym because it's full of out of condition people. The church is where sinners, where hypocrites come to hear the gospel and to be convicted of their sin and their hypocrisy and to repent of it. But there's another interesting aspect of Judas's character. Judas was politically motivated. And that's important when we come to think about why he did what he did. Judas was a member of the Iscaroi, a political group opposed to Roman occupation. He would have believed that the Messiah would come to free Israel from political enslavement, to relieve them of the burden of the Roman Empire. Judas would not be looking for a Messiah who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, or who would die for sinners. And Jesus, right throughout his three-year ministry, training his disciples, was gradually revealing to them the true reason that he had come, to go to the cross. Maybe Judas became disillusioned. Maybe he just wanted off the bandwagon onto which he'd climbed. So we've got just a little bit of insight into the personality and the temperament of Judas. You know, Judas often showed his true feelings. Like in that passage from John, when he was complaining about Mary, Mary the sister of Martha. She poured precious ointment over the feet of Jesus, and Judas moaned that it was a terrible waste of money, that the money would be spent better on feeding the poor. And we're distinctly told that Judas didn't really care about the poor. He was only saying it because he was a thief. He wanted the money for himself. He's fond of holding on to the money that was in the joint account for his own advantage. But of course, Judas's greatest crime was when he betrayed Jesus. A crime that began shortly after that very incident in John chapter 12. Let's read from Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went on to the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave. 
In Exodus, there was a law written as part of the civil law of ancient Israel, where if a bull gored a slave to death, the bull's owner would pay 30 pieces of silver to the slave's owner by way of compensation. Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. That's all a slave was worth. That's all Jesus was worth to Judas. It was a crime of the greatest treachery, for Judas didn't become an open enemy of Christ. He let his hatred for the Saviour simmer away within his heart and within his mind. And yet he kept his office in the church. He retained his profession of belief. He carried on as normal, plodding away in the background Matthew 26 and verse 16 says, And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. It was a crime of great treachery and great wickedness. Because Judas betrayed the greatest friend ever, the friend of sinners. And he did it in deliberate cold blood. And he executed it with the sign of love, with the sign of a kiss. Matthew 26 and verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus. And said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Jesus, and took him. I suppose you might ask why the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus so much needed a traitor to point out the Master to them. After all, he'd ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. People had lined the route and cheered and cast palm branches before him and cried Hosanna. It was a very public occasion. In the week leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus had been teaching openly and publicly in the temple area of the city. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they already knew who Jesus was. But Jerusalem is heaving with people celebrating the Passover and the city's always volatile at that time of the year. Jewish patriotism and religious fervour running high. Arresting a man in the crowd might cause a riot and the Romans hated riots and disorder and they would wade into any riot with great force and they wouldn't care who got hurt. The Romans ruled with a heavy hand and with an iron fist. So the Jews needed to know that when they arrested Jesus, he had to be alone, somewhere where no one else was about. Maybe a remote location. Maybe a private place. A place maybe of prayer. Maybe a garden, perhaps. And preferably under cover of darkness. That would be ideal. And they needed someone to tip them off as to where and when those conditions would be in place. And Judas is the very man.
You know the ways of a traitor lead to a terrible end. Look at Judas's false repentance. There were many instances of repentance in the Bible. Peter repented and believed and was pardoned. Judas repented and despaired and was eternally ruined. Why? Look closely at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now Judas repented himself. But we need to ask, just how sincere was that repentance? Look at the time of that repentance. It was when he saw that he was condemned. I wonder what Judas thought would happen when he betrayed Jesus. Did he expect that Jesus would escape? Did he expect that he would be rescued by his disciples and his followers? Did he think that the arrest of the Saviour would prompt him as the Messiah to rise up in anger and fight back and lead an insurrection and lead the Jewish nation to victory? Remember, Judas had political aspirations, but now he sees the true outcome of his actions. For Jesus is arrested and he's in custody. And Judas is filled with grief and anguish and indignation at himself when he thinks about what he's done. And his conscience rises up against him and he curses his actions. And he comes before the priests. He says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood even the blackest of characters can't find any sin in the Lord Jesus. He is the only one in whom such innocence is found. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, says First Peter 2 and 22. And he relinquished his wicked reward. He threw away the money, Matthew 27 and 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. He tried to make restitution for the crime he had committed. And yet that restitution was thrown back in his face. And notice the reaction of the Jews. They said, what is that to us? See thou to that. So Judas attempted to repent. He repented when he saw the result of his actions. He repented in sorrow and he repented with reparations. And yet despite all of that, I still say that Judas' repentance was a false repentance. And yet it seems so contrite and so sincere. But it was false because it was misdirected. Judas expressed his conscience-stricken sorrow and regret to the priests, and they simply cast him away. He never prayed. He never cast himself upon the mercy of God. His repentance was worthless, because he never asked the Lord Jesus to forgive him. And there is the greatest lesson of all. If I'm sorry for my sin, if I know that I'm a sinner, if I want to repent for my sins, that I must come to Christ. There's no point in going to a priest or a pastor. Come to the Saviour. Come to Jesus. And cast yourself upon His mercy and His grace.
you think of the life of Judas, living as a disciple, listening to the words of Jesus, walking with him on the roads of Galilee, seeing him heal the sick and raise the dead, enrolled in the best ministry training program in the whole of world history, and compare and contrast that with his terrible end and his appalling death. What an awful change. Matthew 27, verse 5 to 7. And Judas cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed and went and hanged himself. What a hopeless end. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 25, we read that Judas left this world and went to his own place. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Judas is a warning for everyone. A warning, I suppose, to Christians to persevere to the very end, to watch out for coldness of heart and temptation, to watch out for hypocrisy and to be conscious of the progressive hardening of sin and sinful behaviour. To the one who does not know the Saviour, it is a warning to beware of going to stand before God in eternity with unforgiven sin. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.